there. Hey. Hey, how guys. You, how you doing? Welcome to the show. It's Lindsay and Krista. Welcome to Almost 30. If you're new here, we're so grateful you're here. Super grateful. We've been doing this for a long time. Seven. Longer than anyone else that you know. Yeah. <laughs> seven, seven years, Seven years is baby. a cycle. Have, what have you done so, for seven? Yeah. I lived in LA for seven years. Uh-huh. I think I've lived in LA for seven. Okay. Any other cycles that are seven? I know that your taste buds change every seven years. Mm. Your cells are turned completely over. turned over every seven years. I'm trying to think if I've done anything for seven years. I know. It's probably like hated myself for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> you know how like I always am blown away when someone's like, I've been teaching kindergartners for 30 years. I, I know. Do you know what I mean? I know. I, I mean, the utmost respect for anyone that can do anything for 30 years. I but I don't know if that's a part of my... Design. DNA, you know? I know. I wonder if it's a generationally, if our generation is less prone to be at jobs that long. Totally. Because I feel like most people that I know are at jobs for a few years. Yeah. I don't know if what's better because I think there's something where people are kind mm-hmm. of switching jobs too much. But yeah, I don't know what I've, I don't know what I've done for seven years. That's such a good question. Because I've just heard that like it's a complete cycle. It's yeah. A whatever. Well, they call it in relationships too. There's research around like the mm. seven year itch. Yes. That basically by seven years, there's like a point in time where you oh, that's interesting. Want to yeah. explore outside? Yeah, and then you become polygamous. polygamous. <laughs> yeah, literally. That's when you bring on extra partners. That's when you move to LA and become poly. <laughs> Everybody tries a little poly here. Yeah, everyone just tries a dash of poly. If that is not the number one conversation that people talk about, I can't even. Where I was when I was in Oregon with some people, I mean, that was the conversation like the whole time, just kind of talking about it. I think people are so fascinated by it. Relationships are so fascinating to people. And it's almost like an ex, I don't want to say an excuse because I do think there's a beautiful aspect to the journey of that, of of kind of the ego dying a little bit and just kind of like being love. Giving love, receiving yes. love, you know, in whatever Free form. Love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I wonder too if it's kind of this primal urge, like an excuse to be like, yeah. I'd love to have a side piece. Yes, a hundred percent. I was talking about, I was like, I feel like it's always instigated by the men. And then what sort of happens is the women then, if they end up participating, then that sort of is what blows up because I feel like the inspiration for men is more physical. And then for women, it's like emotional. Emotional. Yeah. You know, you start to like actually really like the person that you're yeah. probably with because women usually are more picky yes. about who their mates and partners are. So I would imagine that it would become more challenging and the woman probably falls in love with people. Totally. Not that the men don't, but you know. Totally. Yeah. The I think this is going to be such a general statement, so not applicable to everyone, but I feel like women have that ability to fall in love with a soul. Yes. More. Yes. You know, like- That's why they date like prisoners. I'm always like blown away. <laughs> like, dude, there's like murders and prisoners great souls. <laughs> that are like, have like girlfriends that are with I them know. when they're in prison for 30 years. Like women are so is funny. That, is that women loving soul? I don't know if it's women loving us, but it's something where you're <laughs> not just like, that, not men that people would never do souls, that. Because I, I do believe that. But yeah, that's, that's so freaking. Like of those murder shows, it's always like, and he had like 50 girlfriends that I he talked know. to and he was in jail for his whole life. <laughs> it's almost like a mm, fetish. Yeah, definitely. A little bit. Oh yeah. I don't know. Fantasy, fetish. Or knows? just like saving someone yeah. or being, that, oh yeah, that's very interesting. 
Yeah. Anywho, happy new year. Anywho, happy new year. <laughs> Welcome to 2023. What are your intentions for the year, yeah. you guys? Are you guys hitting the ground running? Are you guys hitting the ground running and getting, Ooh. you know, getting it all done? I hope you're still chilling. Same. <laughs> I remember last year, I had the hardest time motivating myself in January. I was, same. I didn't pick up motivation until I think mid-Feb. Mid-Feb. I was sure. completely out for the entire January. I was actually worried about myself. I'm like, am I ever going to mm-hmm. want to work? Mm-hmm. Well, if we think about it, we're, I feel like most of us if are going until third week of December. 100%. So you expect me in a week and a half, two weeks to get enough rest mm-hmm. and just kind of separation from the grind yes. to feel re-inspired, motivated, deeply recharged. I don't think so. Yeah. It takes longer. It takes a week to even get into the calm. Absolutely. It's not calm. Like you're still with family. People are kind of half working. And yeah. So I, I, that makes complete sense to me. And I think we need to normalize it. Yeah. That January is still kind of the it's like the liminal month. Mm. And just kind of, yeah, allowing yourself to be, but today's episode with Danny Beinstein, who's the best. I just loved talking to her. We always were like DM friends, dear friends with Lacey. And she's such a amazing astrologer and then teacher. You know, mm-hmm. it was really fun because we got to talk about 2023, some things to look out for from an astrological perspective in 2023 um, so we can be prepared so we go into that. So we'll help you as much as we can understanding the energetics of 2023 from her. And then we also talked a lot about astrocartography. This is something that I talk a lot about on my page because it's impacted me so much. And then we've talked about a few times on the show, but not in this depth. Yeah. So I really wanted her to take us through astrocartography, what it is, why it's important, how to figure things out from your chart and really understand, you know, where in the world is your soul called mm-hmm. or is your soul meant to be or is your soul meant to grow in or have a family in or be? So astrocartography basically can tell you, similar to coordinates of longitude and latitude, it helps denote which specific planets, energies, and opportunities you may find present in locations based on your birth chart. So everyone's chart will look different. And it'll basically show you specific lines, which represent specific energies based on the planet. And then that energy is going to influence you specifically. Yeah, I actually don't know a ton about astrocartography, so I'm excited for this episode. I think I know like the basics of like the sun line, the moon line, et cetera. What is your sun line? Do we have the same sun line? No, my sun line is um, more so in the Midwest. Oh, wow. Yeah, my sun line is in the Midwest. And what's through LA? Because we both have LA. Yes, through LA actually is Pluto, which is the planet of death Mm -hmm. and transformation. And then Mercury, which is the planet of communication. So I have those crossing through. Justin does as well. Interesting. Yeah. So basically, the closer you are to a line when you're looking at your chart, the closer you feel the energy of that specific planet. So for me, having my having Los Angeles be a place where Pluto and Mercury cross means that the energies of those two planets will impact Mm. me in a different type of way. So yours is your sun line in LA. I think I'm actually not sure in reading this, but I think that's what it is. And um, there's a lot of like creation energy in LA. Yeah. Uh, which My makes moon sense. lines like in the middle of country. And then I had so much in like Florida, 
New wow. Orleans. Like I was like, all right, man. That's so interesting. It's so interesting. And also you have to remember to obviously through the US, but then if you go down, I wonder yeah. if it goes through. Because yeah. my, I forget what my New York line is. I have a line that goes through New York. And then that same line goes through Jamaica, which I went to t- this year and my husband's Jamaican. But I'm like curious about what that is because that's kind of interesting. But I think my line where I'm supposed to settle with like a family is in Montana. So. I love it. <laughs> See you there. So you can think about in your life when you've traveled to places and you've just felt really good. Yes. You know, your energy felt really right. It felt like a place that you love. And that's the thing with travel. And I've been traveling a lot lately. I've been thinking about that because there are places you just feel better. Completely. There are places where I'm like, eh, and yes. I'm the most, the most picky pick with things. So it's, it's just, it's all different for everyone, but I really love astrocartography. So this is going to be interesting and you could find your astrocartography online. So you'll be able to mm-hmm. pull up your own chart and then based on um, the energies of specific planets, understand how to read it. We'll talk as much about it as we can, but definitely look your chart up online mm-hmm. and see what yours says. Awesome. Just another way to get to know ourselves, which is what we do here at Almost 30. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. We appreciate your listenership. If you haven't already joined the Almost 30 community, uh, just so you know, we are opening up our membership at the end of the month and it will be open, open. So you can join at any time if you've been hearing about it and just kind of being like, oh, I wonder what's going on. Danny's going to do a workshop. Yeah. So we have Danielle Beinstein doing a workshop. We have some amazing workshops yes. coming up. So all of the topics that you hear on the podcast, we go super deep and make it super actionable and personable to you in the membership through mm-hmm. workshops that we have every single month. So Lindsay and I do live hangs where we do our own teachings. We have conversations with our members. And then we have these really beautiful in-depth workshops among mm-hmm. so many other things within the membership. So it's such a beautiful way to support yourself and your evolution, especially in a new year. Yes. To learn more, you can go to almost30.com slash membership. We also have our courses and programs on there. Just take a peek, see what calls to you. We're really honored to support you. Yes. Okay. DanielleBeinstein.com to learn more about our amazing guest on this show. Send this episode to a friend to talk about 2023 and all of the things. See where your lines are from an astrocartography perspective. And thank you for being a part of the Almost 30 Nation community. Love you. Love you. In the book, The Law of One, which is one of my favorite texts. So Law of One's a channeled text. So there's this woman and this group of people that channel raw Okay. The historical entity. And the person, her name's Carla. So she's the channeler. And Ra was talking about how the energy frequency was harder to get through with her because she had given up buying new clothes for the month. Mm -hmm. And it had actually lowered her vibration because the intention behind it was a lack intention rather than like a positive abundance intention. And so it is just like back to that, like what is the actual intention? What is the energetic behind it? Am I doing this because I hate myself or because I love myself? Right. It goes back to that famous saying, no amount of self-improvement can make up for a lack of Mm self-acceptance. And I think that we are just so removed from ourselves, increasingly so. And so we keep trying to orchestrate these artificial means to understand ourselves or bring ourselves back home to ourselves. I use elements of biohacking, but I think that there's this kind of element I know. Of, of like, dude, <sighs> let me just bypass being human. Uh-huh. And so I think there's kind of a split 
Charles Eisenstein wrote a whole essay, a beautiful essay about this. But there is kind of this fork in the road towards transhumanism mm-hmm. or old school kind of hippie. And I think that for me, and other people don't feel this way. And when I have clients who they love technology, mm-hmm. I love that. And I support them in that. And I think it's such a beautiful expression. I am not wired that way. Mm-hmm. I have always been a student of history. If I would do anything else, I would get a PhD in social history, just for the love of it, not even to teach, not just because I'm so fascinated by what it was like to live throughout various points in history. And we think we're so different, but the same human need for connection, for belonging. And we think ourselves superior just because we live in the current age. But, you know, there's always been kindness. There's always been evil. I'm just kind of interested in what it means to be human and not from a theoretical place, not from a like, you know, but from a real kind of- Because I'm like already, I'm like, let me just stay right here with you. (laughs) Because I think that's what's fostered in our current society, right? There's not a lot of dropping in. One technique for actors to learn when they're starting their craft is like, how do you drop in? And you can feel it if you watch it on screen, right? What's the difference between- an actor, like a real actor, actress, right? And someone who is performing. You know, as a lover of the arts, I would say if there's one thing that moves me and motivates me the most, I think of the Ani DeFranco line, like art is why I get up in the morning. I'm actually incredibly kind of inspired by art and it leads itself into the work that I do. But I'm always interested in the human piece. And that's why I think I love literature so much because a great novel will explore the human experience without judgment of the character. Once you've judged the character, you've lost your reader, right? Literature can bring us deeper into empathy, not again, a false sense of empathy, but who are we as people? And, you know, this comes up a lot in relationship. So I have a few clients right now that I'm working with, and it's actually a theme I'm seeing a lot in all different areas. So if a client's getting married, if a client is experiencing their dream position in terms of career, a client having a baby, moving somewhere they've always wanted to move, and then they have the experience and they say, oh, this is so much more complex and richer than I had anticipated in my mind. I thought this was going to solve the problem. And all it does is open a door to new aspects of the self. And we're always, it seems that many of us are always trying to outrun the complexity and the nuance of being a human being. So you can hold multiple emotions around a singular thing. You're even more likely to if you're honest with yourself. So this whole hashtag relationship bliss Relationship goals. Yes. Yes. Relationship goals. That's the one. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, when I talk to my friends, a lot of my friends, so I'm 42, a lot of my friends are in their 50s. And when I talk to them about their long-term marriages, many have been married for 20 plus years, there is a real layered complexity to their understanding of the choices they made when they were younger, if they're out there again, who they're looking for. And that's what's so rich in human relationships is really being able to have the safe space to explore that and to say, think about it this way. 
again, coming back to the truth piece. If someone's like, oh my God, my boyfriend, girlfriend, et cetera, is the best I've ever, is the most amazing person versus I love my partner, drives me crazy. I'm drawn to this about them. Sometimes I wonder, would I be better off with someone like this? But then I realize, oh, they bring out in this in me. That's a more real conversation. And it invites other people in Mm -hmm. to a conversation versus it's alienating. Perfection is alienating, which is greatly ironic given so many of us have perfectionist desires or yearnings. Yes. And it's exacerbated by social media. Yes. I think too, what also happens is people go wider instead of deeper. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So with social, with self-help, growth, development, even relationships, it's like, okay, I'm going to find more friends. I'm going to find more tools. I'm going to find more biohacking. I'm going to find more instead of going deeper on the one thing. Yes. And the simplification piece, right? The, when we have spaciousness, to just explore who we are. I think that is the deeper need, right? Without necessarily a specific desired outcome. Because, for example, if we think about what we want in life, it's not always what we actually need. And the cosmic forces are often much wiser than we are. So they may give us exactly what we wanted, and it fits you know, the universe may bring us the opposite of what we thought we wanted and it fits. And that's the dancing Mm -hmm. with life and being present moment to moment. And also I think what's interesting about the wider versus deeper. So I work with a lot of different artists Mm -hmm. and creatives. Adam Duritz, the musician. Yes, I'm a product of the 90s. But the musician, I think he once said, I don't know if this is his quote or he was referring to someone else's quote, but that this the specific is actually universal. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I see kind of on social media are these broad spectrum, broad strokes, follow these six bullet points <laughs> or know yourself, et cetera. And the platitudes. The platitudes. And we yeah. really, what makes us interesting, what makes life interesting are the details. Yeah. I think that's why certain memes work. That's yes. why meme culture exists. Because yeah. you're like, oh, that's me. Yeah. You know, like I saw this, it was so crazy, but I saw this meme. It was like on, it was of this girl in the back of like, it was a green screen of her in the back of the car. And there was like weed smoke and like loud rap music and like her like coach purse. And she's like me in high school thinking I'm having fun. And I was like, that was literally my whole high school existence. But I think it's too specific. But I'm like, no, that actually is. And that's how you create connections is through specificities. Yes. Yes. And also again, there, as we get older, there can be contradict- seemingly yes. contradictory memes. That's what I'm most interested in. And that's why I've always been drawn to art, because it explores that. Mm-hmm. And we're living in a big outrage culture, in a big ideological culture, sweeping generalizations made. And that feels dangerous to me, because individuals are what make life interesting. What do you think about this then? Because I'm curious about that. Because I feel like that sometimes with astrology, where I'm like, that's a sweeping generalization. If you're like, I'm a Gemini, you're like, okay, you're blah, blah. You're, you know, like, so how do you reconcile that? Well, that's why I don't participate in that. And I don't post memes because if you look at a natal chart, Mm -hmm. right, it's divided into 12 
pie slices, which are the houses. There are 10 main celestial bodies. And then it's how they're forming geometric degrees to one another. So a chart is incredibly layered and complex. So someone may be a Gemini sun, right? But let's say they have a stellium in cancer. And let's say their Gemini is actually in the 12th house. And so they may not be actually very Gemini. I see this all the time with Leo. People come to me and they're like, I'm not loud. I don't understand. And I don't know why volume has been associated with the fire signs. I really don't understand. But they're like, I don't look at myself in the mirror all day. What's the deal? (laughs) Yes. And so I don't subscribe to that, which has probably cost me followers. I know exactly. Sometimes I think about that too. I'm like, dang, if I was just like more mainstream. Yeah. But I just, I'm not wired that way. And so I see astrology as a tool and a gateway to move deeper with my clients. It's where we maybe start, but it's not at all where we end up. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly niche, but I really, again, not wider, deeper. Yeah. It's also too, I think what you were saying a little bit before when we're talking about the human experience, it's like when people think what they want out of life, I think what happens first in their journey is like matrix play yeah. where you're like, oh, yeah. I'm awakening. I can play with the matrix where you're like, plug in this, yeah. get this out. That's a lot of specific manifestation yeah. work. Not Lacey, obviously yeah. one of our dear friends, but it's like that general understanding is of like, if I think about this, this happens. Yes. And it's actually not getting you what you want. Like, I want what God wants for me, not what my ego mind perceives to want for me. And I think that's an interesting part of the spiritual journey for a lot of people too, because it can be scary. I think I'm in that point where I'm still kind of gripping to the ego Mm -hmm. desires and I'm not fully like turning forward to the part where it's like just the soul desires because you're like, well, how could I be happy with not everything? Well, you're a human being. I don't know that you'll ever, Yeah. I don't know that any of us ever totally. let go yeah, completely. Yeah. I think about this a lot because think about like early Super Soul Sunday, like, yes, you know, dude. 90s, like that kind of OG teaching. And I think about- Which was what? I don't even know. You know, just really the return to the soul. It had mm-hmm. nothing to do with the material existence. It really was an exploration of surrender, letting go, mercy, forgiveness. A lot of it centered around those who had grown up, as we all do, varying degrees of challenging circumstances, how to make sense of it, really how to make sense of us being these beings that are on a green and blue ball floating through the universe. Like, how do you make sense of that? And then something kind of turned on. And I've been thinking about this because it seems to have taken off this kind of new form of wellness at the same time or kind of the fading of the minimalist movement. Remember the minimalist, like get rid of everything. Yeah. Right. So you had this kind of two track thing that was happening. And I think that as we raise in consciousness, often we just want less because we want to feel more free. And then we create a lot of spaciousness. And then we say, okay, from this openness, show me or guide me, or this is what's coming. And also we're constantly evolving, right? We go through phases. And so this idea of like, I will land on this and this will be my identity. All of that is a construct. And I just feel that there is this yearning to just come back to the simplicity of we're all figuring it out. And there's nothing to figure it out, but we're all doing the best we can. 
in a increasingly chaotic, complex world. There's just a gluttony of information. So much. Right? It's just so much and it's exhausting. And it keeps us again in the head. And that's what I was thinking about recently with like Western culture and the introduction of like therapy culture. Yeah. It's like therapy's changed my life. I yeah. so grateful for it. But then it's also still in the mental process. Mm-hmm. Whereas different cultures all over the world would be moving, shaking, making noises, sort of like in the cathartic movement, in the like full flow of the energy and how when we're in the mind with so much, it's actually not healing. Correct. And I think that is something too, where people assume that their understanding, it can be healing, but it sometimes isn't the full healing to understand. 100%. I think about this a lot because almost every session a client will cry or sob or move. And I feel like, okay, now we're moving the energy because if it's just up here in the head, it's never deeply felt. So I think that people need to feel seen and heard. And that doesn't come with just talking. That actually comes from listening. I noticed in my practice that I went through a phase where I was like, okay, I need to give them as much information as possible. I just need to make this worth making an investment. I need to give them as much information as possible. And I kind of shifted out of the original listening. And then I moved back into the deeper listening. And I was like, this is actually what's effective. Not just listening to someone ramble from their head, but sometimes people just need to vent and then you can get to the deeper place, but listening beneath the words. So what are they really saying? What are they really wanting? And then from that, I do, I think, you know, the physical element, listen, I moved to the woods. I grew up in Manhattan and I moved to the woods of Tennessee because I just needed to be in the being, right? Like I don't have a wellness practice. I sit on my porch and watch my dogs and drink a cup of tea or an espresso. And I feel more at peace than going to, I went to some fancy spa up in a high rise in downtown Nashville. And I had this thought coming home. I was like, if I had just put my feet in the grass, I would have felt more relaxed than this three hour process where I had to drive downtown, get in an elevator, check in, check out, change your clothes, the whole thing, do the lock and key on the thing. Totally. And so I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to go. I found practitioners who are, you know, out of their house. It's a much calmer thing. But yes, exactly. That whole, again, like the artificial construction rather than going to the thing itself. And so there's, maybe it's the Virgo in me. If I want to be kind of me more, it's like going to the purity. What's the essence of the thing? And I. I just think there's no one size fits all model. So for some people, maybe they do need to talk it out. For other people, they need to go silo seven, right? For another person, they need to go hike in the woods. Maybe needs a combination of all, you know. I think that there's never going to be one thing that applies to every single person. The only two things we know for sure are death and taxes. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. everything else. Could be nature apply. <laughs> yeah. I am juggling quite a bit lately. (laughs) I have a new baby, um, six months in, and uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And um, it's just a lot, but everything is 
all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health routine is on point, then everything runs smoothly. And one huge piece of that routine is my supplementation. And Symbiotica has just always been a constant in my routine. Uh, If you haven't heard of Symbiotica, they're a health and wellness company that does everything with intention. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like I know them. (laughs) Shervin has been on the podcast many times. I just have seen how passionate, how incredibly intelligent, how dedicated he is to creating products um, that are clean, plant-based, without toxic or harmful chemicals, which we need more of that in the world. Um, So let me just run you through what I'm taking. Um, I take the vitamin D3 K2. It's the liposomal form. I just squirt 12 little pumps in my mouth every single morning. I also take their B12. Um, I'm also obsessed with the liposomal vitamin C. I have these little packets whether it's winter or whatever season, it's obviously great for immunity, but it also um, is amazing because it has biotin, one of nature's most beautifying ingredients. Uh, So I've seen an improvement in my skin, hair, and nail growth as well. I do have mom brain, um, but I'm doing my best to just support my brain health in any way. So for brain health, focus and memory, I really love taking their liposomal magnesium L3 and um, It's an innovative form of magnesium that is able to cross the blood brain barrier. It supports brain health, mood, immune system function, and overall well-being. It's incredible and tastes amazing. It's like this yummy vanilla cream flavor. That's the thing with uh, Symbiotica products. They taste unbelievable. So it really makes taking all of these supplements so easy, so yummy. And I actually look forward to it. So if you want to give Symbiotica a try, there is no better time. Right now is the time. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Use our code almost 30, 20% off site-wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're going to get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code almost 30 for 20% off site-wide. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Oh. Therapy, y'all. I don't know. I just, I don't know what I did before therapy, to be completely honest with you. I think I was kind of a mess, but you know, found it when I was meant to. But I have been going to therapy for about six years now, which is so crazy. So crazy, but it has changed my life. And I will continue to invest in therapy for as long as I can. I feel like it has totally, totally made my relationships better made my career better. I am a better mom. I am a better wife. I'm a better friend. I'm a better daughter and sister. Y'all, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do, this is it. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you get matched and you're like, yeah, not quite a fit, they make it easy and it's free to change. But I've had a lot of friends try BetterHelp and love it. So I really, really encourage you to start therapy. It's been the best decision I've ever made for myself. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash almost 30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash almost 30. How has your life changed since? Because you used to live in LA. I think a lot of people, and I think this is interesting for people because a lot of people want that. Yeah. 
they're like, okay, I'm, I'm in this space, but I want to live in the woods. I want to live off the grid, but I'm scared. I'm yeah. scared about my identity. I'm scared about my relationships. I'm one of those people. So what has your transition been like? Well, okay. So the pandemic hit. Yeah. LA was, a, I was here for 15 years. It was a long journey for me because I was a born and bred Manhattanite. And I was like, I'm never leaving New York City. It was a shock at 25 when I left. And so it was a kind of long process through my own work and just getting older, honestly. And so the last place I lived here was Topanga. And even in Topanga in 2019, I was like, no, we got to move back to New York City. We got to move back to New York City. The pandemic hit and my partner's from New Zealand. And so one day I was driving home. I think I'd like picked up groceries. I was driving home and I thought we're supposed to go to New Zealand. And it was a whole process. We had to quarantine. I had to actually, my passport was about to expire. And I was like, if this is meant to be, it's going to just happen. And so I get home and I'm like, Daniel, I think we have to go to New Zealand. And he's like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, I think we have to go to New Zealand. Like maybe that's where we're supposed to live. That's, the, that's feminine, baby. <laughs> I was like, I think we're just supposed to go. So he's like, okay. You know, I haven't lived home in a while. And it all lined up perfectly. And we got there and it was beyond unsettling and chaotic for me. I've never been so unsettled in my life. So I'm in this place that everybody, it's like, it's paradise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, oh my God, you're in paradise. At that point, New Zealand was completely open if you were there. You couldn't go in and out, but it was completely open. We moved, I think, every two weeks. So I was like, I want to see that. What if we want to move here forever? I need to see everywhere. And genuinely the most unsettled I've ever been. And it was during a massive Uranus transit. And it was my Uranus line, which is can be unsettling, but also awakening. And the, honestly, the most toxic I've ever been was mm. there maybe since I was like 17 or early 20s and like raged at my parents. What is, how did that show up? It showed up with my partner's family. I almost blew up our relationship several times. I was confronted with pieces of myself that I had really not been confronted with in a really long time. I had a lot to do with identity. We come from radically different worlds. I felt challenged at the core. I felt like, where is home? What is home? I knew LA didn't really feel like home. And I was stuck on this idea, we're going to move back to New York City. We're going to move back to New York City. And I come back about two months earlier than him. I land in LA. All the stuff was in storage. And I said, I'm going to Colorado. My best friend had rented a property there and my parents are there. One of my sisters is there. My parents have moved to Colorado about 20 years ago. And I get to Colorado and I feel at home and I'm like, there's so much space here. And I realized that New Zealand had changed me in all my fighting it. I had been really impacted by having so much spaciousness and nature. And in the times that we weren't in Auckland, but even Auckland is like, it's, there's water everywhere by the ocean and the greens are the, you know, most vibrant greens. And so... I, you know, I kind of had it in my head, we'll go back to New York City and then we'll buy a property in Hudson, upstate. Mm-hmm. It's and always like halfway. Yes, halfway. It's always like just, okay, a little bit further. Totally. Exactly. A little bit further. Exactly. And then I, he was about to come home and I said, again, same thing. I got a download. I was supposed to go to Nashville. 
He's like, blessed this man. <laughs> he, he's, totally, he's like, I'm still <laughs> thinking about my family, all right? Totally. Totally. 100%. And he was like, okay, let's, let's get an Airbnb and try it out. And so we land in Nashville. We drive to Nashville last September. And we were both like, we really love it. And so the plan was like, okay, we're going to get, you know, a house in East Nashville, which is a lot like Silver Lake in LA. That feels familiar, et cetera. Halfway. Halfway. And I started looking at properties and I just kept being drawn more and more out. And then we lost three houses and then found a house. And I was like, this our house. And it's 25 minutes outside of Nashville, but it is woods, 360 degree in the woods. And I, again, I was like, this is it. And he's more pragmatic. He's like, this is really a smart investment because regardless, Nashville's blowing up and et cetera. The taxes are really good and we can actually parcel this land and build it. And I was just, I don't know about any of that. We're supposed to be here. And it was seamless. Like we had lost three houses and then this was just a seamless process. I don't know what's best for me. In my life, every decision, although when I get a download that's crystal clear, New Zealand was really challenging, was absolutely supposed to go there right? LA had been challenging for 15 years, but going through a series of Pluto transits, it's on my Pluto line. So that's the interesting thing. About line us. Too. It's transformative. My husband too. It's wild. It's wild. My Pluto and Mercury. Interesting. So the connections, the speaking, the mm-hmm. communication, it's wild, right? Mm-hmm. You feel it. And then my Pluto transits completed and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go. So how can people, astrocartography, I yes. want to talk about that. People are obsessed and it understanding that about LA and the specific lines has helped me greatly. So what is it? So astrocartography is where the lines line up when you were born. So for example, people may assume like, oh, so my sun line is where I was born. No, it's where the sun line was. Was it on the mid heaven, which is the highest point in the chart, the IC, which is the most deeply felt part of the chart, the AC, the ascendant, how we present to the world, the descendant, how we greet others, how we experience relationship. So it's where any of those lines fell on the day you were born, on the moment you were born, right? So we can kind of say, okay, if I go here and my sun line runs through it, then I'm going to feel a sense of vitality and aliveness. I have found this and I have found this retroactively. I did not really realize this. I did not put this together, even though I've been studying this for 20 something years. I did not put together that I was consistently drawn to the line that I was having the major transit around until I was in New Zealand. And I was like, what is happening? I'm on my Uranus line. I was like, I'm going to go to my Uranus line. I'm going to be so, I'm going to have an awakening. It's going to be so incredible. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm going through a massive Uranus transit. And then Nashville's on my Neptune line and I'm going through a massive Neptune transit. So I just keep- What is Neptune transit? So Neptune is- mysticism, compassion, a kind of dissolving of layers of the ego. So I was like, oh, that's really interesting, right? So that's something that I've recently become aware of and I work with clients in that regard. So it's just kind of knowing. And the truth is that we know. We land somewhere and we go, oh, this feels right. Or we land somewhere else and we go, this for whatever reason, this is challenging. You know, when people said to me, you're in New Zealand, I got, that's where I want to live. It's the most amazing place on earth. And I'm like, okay, I am so challenged. Totally, totally. (laughs) Such Like I'm about to burn it all down. (laughs) Exactly. So I think that it's, again, like conceptual versus live. Yeah. But 
we can't avoid. So people say to me, I know I'm not supposed to be on my Saturn line. I'm like, well, what if you're having a Saturn transit? Or what if you need more structure in your life? Or you need more accountability, self-accountability? That's what well, they maybe, say about a Pluto too. Well, Pluto's, think of Pluto as like the deeper, more internal experience. Saturn's going to be the more kind of external structured experience. But yes, there is a kind of similarity to them. So with so people to find theirs out, they can type it in online. Astro.com is Astro. a really easy way to do com. it. And then it'll basically show them their chart that has where this all of the lines that they can really then understand from the energetics of each line what that means for them. Right. So it's actually going to look like a map. Yes. And you'll click, let's say, Denver. Mm-hmm. And you'll see if a line is running through Denver. And it might say, oh, you'll do better on the Western side or the Eastern side of this line. But there's a pretty wide range. Like you don't need to be exactly, it doesn't need to be exactly there. But then the other thing I do is I pull up a relocation chart, Mm -hmm. which is as if you were born at that place. And you'll see how it shows up in the relocation, just so I can give people a deeper understanding. So let's say your Mercury is on your midheaven. There, if you pull up the relocation chart, you'll see Mercury on the midheaven. Okay. You'll recognize that, oh, this is a place. And then you can see where the other celestial bodies land Mm -hmm. in the chart. I find it to be more substantive Mm -hmm. or additional. You know, I find it to be helpful. So it's like people could look at the astro.com to get a general sense of the energetics of things, but it doesn't take into consideration like different aspects of their chart as it relates to those things. Exactly. For example, I don't have any lines running through London or the UK, Mm -hmm. but I feel, I love London or the UK. I feel so connected there. And the kind of sense of home and creative part of my chart is activated. But it's not, you won't, if you pulled up my astral cartography, you wouldn't immediately see that. So I just think it adds another layer. Yeah. So if say, because I have my moon around Texas, but it's yeah. not in like Austin as yeah. an example. Is it a certain amount of area to the left and to the right? People will say 700 miles. Okay. To the left and to the yeah. right. Okay. Where you could sort of feel that energy. Yeah. Do you feel like why do you feel like astrocartography sort of picked up interest? Because I feel like maybe it's from 2020 and people want to move. People are sort of all over the place, but I definitely feel like it's more of a collective conversation. Well, I think we've definitely been in a great migration, Yeah. right? And I think that we're more mobile than we've ever been, right? In 1750, if you picked up your astrocartography, it wouldn't be, but we're so mobile. And I mean, aside from the energy crisis, it's been easy to get and move around, right? Flights have been relatively cheap in terms of the span of history. And so I think people feel like they have more agency. And then of course, with the pandemic, people felt like they have even more agency because they can work remotely. Mm. So yes, I definitely think there's a link there. Yeah. And I think people are also, I think, to getting privy to the energetics of a place. Yes, 100%. Where they can feel and sense into the energy of a place. I also... I don't know if this is true, that each city has its own sign and yes, chart. Yes, I've heard that. I don't practice that, yeah. so I don't, I'm not going to claim to, but I know that people say New York City is very Scorpio or Capricorn. I don't know if this is true, but to me, LA feels very Neptunian. But like my Neptune yeah. line doesn't run through LA. It's very Virgo to me. So that's interesting, yeah. right? It's like mm-hmm. it may bring out different yep. things in different people. I think also, and this is a huge thing for me with clients in astrology, context matters. Mm-hmm. So 
You're, for example, in terms of astrocartography, yes, you can get hyper-specific, but LA and Ojai, there's not going to be much of a difference. But someone may be, I want to be in LA. Someone may be like, I need to be in Ojai, mm-hmm. right? So it's also what we're drawn to. And then in astrology, it's like context matters. So how someone experiences strong fourth house energy, which is their roots and family, is going to be very different based on their conditioning, their culture, how they were raised. You know, if someone's raised in a culture where family is really everything versus, you know, in a home where it's like, go do your own thing. We all do our own thing. And that some of that can be evident in a chart, but there's also kind of broader spectrum. Like I have a lot of clients in the Middle East, mm-hmm. right? And I was talking to one client who lives in Qatar and we were just talking about how on Friday there's kind of like family day. And I thought that was so gorgeous, so beautiful, right? And I was saying, by and large, American coasts, that doesn't really happen. It's going to, it more likely to happen in the heartland, mm-hmm. right? But that all matters. A hundred percent. I have so much fourth house in my chart. I'm like all about that. I think then on the point, you know, if we're talking about astrology as it relates to the beginning of our conversation, when we're talking about alignment yep. and sort of being more human, how can we use astrology to have that true soul alignment mm-hmm. rather than like the more ego part of us? That's a really good question. I think it's a really, it's a balancing act because I think it's really easy to default to tropes or kind of memes and to say, I'm this. And I think remaining curious and investigative. So thinking of the raw energy of it. So if you're talking to a Gemini, instead of saying like, oh, you're two-faced, right? So I think Gemini... Pisces and Scorpio are the most maligned signs. I feel like I'm on a PR campaign for them. But I'm a Pisces. What do people say about Pisces? Just that they're emotional, wishy washy, yes. okay, non-committal, totally flaky, etc. So I think it's like what's underneath it. So a Gemini may not be the most social person in the room, but they're probably going to be curious, and they're probably going to have a kind of an openness, a mutability to them. That's kind of in their core, that they're probably not as fixed in their ideology. Now, if that Gemini is placed in a house, which is more fixed, it it adds a layer to it. But I think remaining curious and open, right? Just like two people who grew up in a home, one child may say, oh, I was, this was clearly toxic and traumatic. And another person may have a different response to it. They may say, okay, it wasn't ideal. There are clear, obviously, situations which are traumatic, but individuals have different responses to the thing. And you can, we can say that's past life. We can say it's a neurochemistry. I mean, there's so many different ways to look at it, but I think being wary of clutching and grasping to a singular ideology, mm-hmm. right? And that's why I said it's always a gateway to me. It's never the end of the conversation. Yeah, I completely agree. It's like, how are we using things to open us up more yep. rather than like close us? And that's what I love the way you do astrology because it's not sort of that meme trope where you're just like, Virgos like to make their beds in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're just like, dude, what the fuck? And then everyone's like, I do make my bed in the morning. Like, <laughs> it's almost like creating a situation where people are then living up to the things. Yes, 100%. It's self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. Right? I'm this. Yeah. And then 
it can prevent a kind of intimacy, right? Again, I think the curiosity piece is really important and the listening. And we're just kind of shouting in our culture. We're not really listening. We're not really asking questions. So I was a pretty heady kid. And I remember reading this New Yorker article when I was like 17 or 18. I have no idea what the article is about. I might've mentioned this in another podcast. I can't remember, but I have no memory of what it was about at all. But I remember the opening line, uh, which was opinions are the opiate of the masses, which is a take on the famous Marx quote. And I never forgot that. I was like the idea of having these calcified opinions there's something that feels so empty about it, right? As opposed to saying, well, maybe. And I also probably have a personal thing with this because I joke that my dad is the king of declarative sentences and I have that within me. I have that aspect within me. And he's a really emotional thinker, but he always wanted to debate at the kitchen table. And so it kind of sharpened that within me. And I realized, oh, I can be an emotional thinker. I can operate that way. And so that's not interesting to me. Like, how can I get more nuanced and more curious underneath? And, you know, I joke about it all the time with him because even like I just was home a month ago and he like, he's like, I love the debate. And I'm like, (laughs) that is so sweet. I want to be more enjoy. I want to enjoy it more. I don't, but it's like, I say to him, I'm like, you enjoy it. Like, and I, I was raised to enjoy it. Yeah, I'm like, I'm forced to enjoy it. (laughs) Like, I was like, not everyone is going to find this enjoyable. I would love to. I love when like couples or families are just like going at it. Yeah, that's, that's And they're having fun. That's our house. And he likes it, like, because I, we disagree on a lot. And he's like, I love it. I love it. And there's four of us and he raises all the tension that I want to be more comfortable with. Just that yes. little bit of tension where you're like, ooh, it's okay. We're both having our different experience and we're expressing it. Yeah. And being okay with not fusing, matching, fusing or matching energies or being like, yep. it is only safe if we agree. Oh, yeah. No. In fact, I feel like in my house growing up, it was like you weren't meant to agree because then it wasn't interesting. That's hilarious. So, yeah, on my birthday card this year. Oh, that's a whole vibe too, yeah, though. That's a whole if thing. If you're like just being like, well. <laughs> that's everything. To, yeah, 100%. To just have exhausting. your own identity. Yes. 100%. And I was like, That's Dad. like being a high schooler. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a full high school experience. <laughs> I know. Was last time I was home, I was like, I hear you, but like, I really just want to have breakfast. Like, we just Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I'm 12. I have a crush and I just want to hit the road. Speaking of relationships, at the beginning too, we talked about relationships and like the relationship goals. Yeah. A lot of women in our community or a lot of people in our community oftentimes will start dating someone Mm -hmm. and then they look at their astrology Mm -hmm. and signs. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on like comparing charts in the beginning of relationships? I have a really funny personal story about that. When I met Daniel, he thought he was born at a certain time and I asked him on our first date. And then about two and a half years into our relationship, his mom came for Thanksgiving. And she was like, you weren't born at that time. (laughs) It's like, it's amazing. You're like, your whole life flashes before your eyes. (laughs) He loves to bring that up. Because I kept, he kept being like, everyone says that their chart is so accurate and mine is not. And then his mom said that. And it was like, oh yeah, this is you. This is so you. 
I probably wouldn't have dated you if I'd seen this. Holy shit, you're being protected. Again, it's like, how do you feel around that person? Because the astrology will give us a lot of information about what the soul contract may be or what the learnings are. But the most important thing is like, how does your nervous system feel around that person? How does your body feel around that person? And then let's use astrology to understand the kind of underlying dynamics as opposed to using the astrology as a way to keep people away. I see this also with people having babies all the time. I don't want to have that sign. Well, you can't really control that because there's a moon and a rising, et cetera. And also spirit knows what it's doing. So if you have such an issue with that sign, I almost guarantee you it's going to show up in some way or another. I think it's so heartbreaking. Peace and love, everyone listening, whatever, (laughs) peace and love. But when people are like, I want a boy. Yeah. I want a girl. I'm like, oh my God. Yep. That says so much about your relationship with that gender. Yes. And then I've spoken to adults who are like, my father wanted a boy. You know? And then they So I see the other side of that, of like what happens. Yes. But yes. And it starts. But the other thing is like, we're all coming into something. Yeah. We're all, and we're all working through something. And that's, I go back a lot to the ancient Greek philosophers because it was just this sense of like fate and free will, fate and free will. And there are just some soul experiences that the window dressing of it may look different, but the soul lesson is going to be there. So a lot of times if Mm. I see clients in dilemma, like, should I go here or should I go here? And I say, on some level, it doesn't matter because your soul is going to present you with the experiences that you need in order to grow and evolve. So it's a false sense of control. Yes. With relationships, Mm. how would someone be able to tell about soul contracts and learnings from charts? Uh, North Node. Okay. Um, Yours and theirs? Yes. If there is any kind of contact between Saturn and, you know, an IC, any of the angles, what we call the angles, that can be evident, but a lot around the nodes and Saturn and the angles. Because Saturn represents? Lessons, karmic lessons. It wouldn't be Venus? No, Venus is more topical. Wow. Venus is more like, is the attraction there? Do we get along? Mars is more kind of the sexual piece. Is there sexual compatibility? But no, it's not deep enough. And so I think what you said is really powerful too. In relationships, it's like, how are people using it to like categorize people Mm -hmm. and keep people further from them and further from intimacy? Right. And then we'll just become more and more isolated and more and more lonely. Yes. As opposed to, we have something to learn from every single person right? Mm -hmm. Everybody who shows up in our life is some kind of teacher. And we don't, again, need to create a formula around it where it's exhausting and we're overanalyzing everybody. But just seeing someone through soul-centered eyes, really seeing the soul in them, the human in them, they're doing the best they can. You're doing the best you can. I'm doing the best I can instead of being on the offense all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For finding reasons to not move forward or be with people or categorize people. And that's the whole thing when the opinions are the, what is it? Opiates of the masses. masses. It's like, I always see that with people where it's like, once they feel like they conceptually understand something and they can sort of move on and try and figure out the next thing. So it's like, okay, this person's Scorpio, don't like Scorpios, move on. And sort of never leave room for that nuance because that takes time. Yep. Takes inquiry, you know, to be in nuance, to be in discovery. It takes confidence in changing, being able to change your opinion and perspective. Yes. But one of my favorite 
spiritual quotes of all time is Pema Chodron's, nothing ever goes away until it teaches us what we need to know. So probably going to be confronted with the energy of that in one form or another until it's integrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. I would love to talk a little bit about 2023. Yes. yes. Astrology, baby. <laughs> yeah. How are we looking for 2023? So 2023 is interesting because Saturn- Not a good start. No, <laughs> just so, well, you know, I'm there's just all these massive shifts in the collective and they're not going to be tied up in a bow, right? But we have in March, Saturn- moves into Pisces for a little over two years. Okay. So I'm a Pisces. Is that good for me? Well, there's going to be a kind of <laughs> I'm like, nuance, nuance. Is this good for me? <laughs> Does this apply to me directly? <laughs> there's a kind of solidification that can happen. Okay. You know, Saturn gets a bad rap, but Saturn teaches us accountability. It matures us. It consolidates. Nothing in nature grows exponentially indefinitely. We always have contraction and expansion. So Saturn can contract, but there's a real kind of blessing in that. It's like, you know, now that I'm back in seasons and I watch the land that I live on, like it blossomed in spring and then bloomed like in summer. And then it's folding into itself and the leaves are all starting to fall in preparation for winter. And there's all this growth, but it's underground, right? In preparation for spring again. And so I think of Saturn as the wintering and there's a real stillness and beauty to winter. Perhaps my favorite season, but there's a real kind of beauty to that. So there's a kind of coming to oneself and a fortification that Saturn can bring. Now, Pisces is all about mysticism. It can be about fantasy, imagination. It can be about pining. What's pining? So pining is like the yearning for something that it always feels far away. But what I say to clients is that if there's a strong element of pining, well, then you know you've got an incredible imagination, right? You see what's possible. And so how can you take those gifts of imagination and use them creatively, right? How can you make something? So it feels contradictory. Saturn and Pisces energy. Do well, you feel like yes, that? Okay. Because one is the physical form yes. and kind of physical world reality. And the other one is the unseen world. Mm. So it's kind of about making your dreams a reality, fusing fantasy and reality, kind of grounding us. So that's one thing that's happening. And then Pluto starts to move into Aquarius. So this is major. Pluto takes 248 years to grow in the Zodiac. And it's the slowest in astrology. It's been demoted. I know. It's so weird. Because it's Why? I actually don't know. I don't know the astronomy around it. But in astrology, it's the most potent, right? Yeah. It's the slowest moving. It really... It was like NASA that demoted it or something. So Pluto moves into Aquarius, which is an air sign. It's also the collective. So I think we're going to get... It's already... We're feeling it, right? Massive lessons around groupthink. Because Aquarius Mm. is... It's paradoxical because it's about the individual, but it's also about the collective, right? So we're going to start to get lessons. So that happens between the end of March. I think it's March 23rd. I can only keep so many dates mm-hmm. in my head until June. And then it backtracks back into Capricorn. And then we'll, So in that, I think it's May 17th of 2023, Jupiter will have moved into uh, Taurus the day before. 
and we're going to have a square between Jupiter and Pluto, and they're going to be in fixed signs. So it feels like there is going to be this real kind of next spring, because it's also, we have the eclipses. So we have the eclipses on April 20th and then May 5th. There's going to be this kind of rumbling that's, I think, going to really come up against ideology. Ideology hitting again, physical world reality. And I feel the the big thing that's going to be true for 2023 and 2024 is stuff around farming. Because Jupiter moving into Taurus, which is the physical world, land. I mean, it is literally the gardener or the farmer. And then... That's also climate. Yeah, all of it. Yeah. And then on top of that, Uranus, which takes 84 years to grow in the Zodiac, in 2024, in April of 2024, Jupiter will meet up with Uranus in Taurus. So there just feels like that's going to be the real kind of theme is how we relate to land, how we relate to nature. We are nature, but we have this idea that we need to go into it or we're separate from it or we need to control it. I'm like, did no one see Jurassic Park? Did we just miss Mm -hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Like you mess with nature, it messes back. <laughs> I'll, I literally couldn't go to the bathroom alone for like years because the Tyrannosaurus Rex ate the person out of the bathroom. I literally was had to go with like my dad outside the door for like ever. What do you feel like, are there movies that you feel were incredibly impactful in terms of what you thought your adulthood would be growing up? Yeah, that's a good one. Clueless, probably. Uh-huh. The classic. Yeah. What I thought my adulthood would be. Was there a movie yes. that you were obsessed with when you were 11, 12, 13, 14, when you were like starting to develop your sexual consciousness? I'll never forget Titanic. Yeah. I saw it like nine times in theaters. And I just never forget like the feeling of like boobs coming on yeah. the screen. <laughs> and it was just like everyone like was like the tension. Because it, yeah. it was kind of radical then. I guess it was. Like, there wasn't really boobs as, like, they're everywhere now. Like, every HBO show. But it was, like, very (laughs) radical and very radical for our age. And I just remember being like, what the fuck? And it was one of those movies where it was, like, fall in love, meet each other. You know what I mean? The love at first sight thing, which is, like, something we hear from a contextual level. We're, like, love at first sight. But then when you kind of see it actually happening in movies, it's so wild. Because it's no communication, really. It's, like, all I. It's all I. Yeah. And I remember feeling that. I was like, okay, that's, I'm going to be rich and they're going to see, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're going to see me. And it's like, are they going to be from the lower class? Like, yeah, lower be, class. Yeah. No, my, I'm actually opposite. I'm Jack in the scenario. <laughs> they're, they're really, they're the rose. But yeah, I remember that being like profound. And any television series? Television series around relationships. Sabrina the Teenage Witch was pretty dope. <laughs> I do remember Sex in the City. Interesting. I do remember that being very interesting. And I know it's got its things. It wasn't, it's not Bible, but it, I do remember that being really impactful. Have you seen any of that play out? I feel like we underestimate I agree. the imprint that these early media experiences have on us. Those of us, like some of America was raised not on, if you were raised in oh a religious God. environment. Oh my God, the hills and Laguna Beach. Yeah. I was... I rewatched it the other day just because I'm like always just like a student of earth. I'm like, yeah. what's the what's the deal with this? Yeah. And so I was watching it and I was like, holy fucking shit. The things that the guys were saying yeah. was so crazy. Like they were just so what? sexist and just like they said gay yeah. and derogatory mm-hmm. ways. Like, 
And then also the conversations with the people, like no one ever actually communicated anything. They'd be like, so did you see her at the party? And you're like, yeah, like (laughs) I did. (laughs) And then they'd go to the party and be like, you're a bitch. And it's like so much has been thought, but not communicated. Yeah. And just how that also the whole concept of being mad at the girl for the guy's actions. That was the whole experience of that was like being mad at the girl for the guy, having so much pressure on the girl. It was wild. And you ended up in Southern California. Yeah. I think about this a lot because I think about, I was obsessed with episodic TV. Like, Mm. for example, I was a teenager when ER came out and like, were Carol and Doug going to get together? And it was like, every episode was anticipatory. And I swear that my, because I didn't see it. My parents are still married. They're really solid relationship. I didn't see that. And the only place I can really locate it is that I would every week be like, are they, are they? And so I became you know, in my 20s and early 30s, I was still in that, like, I want to have that feeling of like, again, nothing's actually spoken. It's all in my head. And will we or won't we? Yeah. And I was literally creating. That's this so sounds wild. insane. No, but, I totally. But I see it with that kind of people in the spiritual community might call it twin flames. But if you actually think about it, it's that addiction to that pining rather than being in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's attachments a lot of times. Yes, 100%. For me, I had to realize that too, where I was like, oh, why? Mine's more with female relationships because I felt securely attached yep. to my dad. But it was like, why am I so focused on the women that I don't feel like yep. safe around? Why am I so focused on getting their love or yep. affection or attention? Like it was so much of my life pedestalizing women and then like being afraid of them or being their sidekick. And then like, it was just very weird. And I was like, whoa, what's this? But that makes so much sense, right? I had a similar thing with my mom and I translated that to men. Like I was drawn to men who Mm -hmm. felt like they were unavailable. Mm -hmm. Like, But there's something interesting in the imprint because television or movies, we are in a meditative state. We are literally taking that in constantly. Television. Yes. And I think, yeah, never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. Television. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Programming. TV programming is programming you. Yep. And I really think now that that was incredibly impactful. I think it's really weird when people actually don't believe in the effects of TV or music on our brains and on our thought processes. People don't believe in it? Some people don't. They're like, it's just TV or it's just music. I'm like, oh no. Oh no. We are vibrational creatures. And that's what it does. It gets you into a meditative state and then can go into your subconscious. Yep. And then programs your subconscious mind. And that's done. People, you can do research on that. Right. And so you think about, like, there's all these memes about how women will watch 12 hours of serial killer. I'm like, are there any more murders to cover? <laughs> Literally, the other night I was like, can we, are, are we caught up with our murders now? Yes. But like... Only in America, too. Yes, we're obsessed with it. Obsessed. What is this? So then you have to ask, like, what is that? I think it's the adrenaline. I think right. we are so comfortable that we have to make up scenarios in our mind to get us hooked on that adrenaline and to continue on that process. And there's also a kind of like sexuality, 100%. a titillation around that, right? Titillation. I really think about it less currently. I mean, I'm pretty curated what I watch, but I think about it in terms of development. 100%. Did you hear about Coco Melon? What's Coco? Coco Melon was a show, is a show mm-hmm. that's for children, mm-hmm. I think under the ages of three. Mm-hmm. And they got bought by like a video game company and they actually make children addicted to it because of the sounds are gambling sounds. So it's like, ching, 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 ching. Oh God. The music and then the colors are basically so stimulating that they become addicting to children. I mean, 
yep. couldn't sleep after I heard yep. that. I'm like, I just, that breaks my heart mm-hmm. how we're just bringing children into this loop of addiction so immediately. Yep. And that's why in the Rye method, they say active toys make a passive mind, yep. passive toys make an active mind. So when you're giving a child like a box, right. that creates imagination, that yep. creates freedom. But when you're giving them an iPad, which no shade, like yeah. I'm not saying I'm not a parent. I actually have no idea what that would be like. And I'm sure they'll have an yeah. iPad. But it's like, you know, that Waldorf. Yeah, Waldorf. Yeah. Where it's like, if you're giving them everything on the phone, they're not going to want to use their imagination or minds. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I even find myself less and less interested in Instagram. And I actually want to go to websites and discover on my own. Because one of my favorite things about traveling is like getting lost and just discovering. I don't like being a passive recipient. I don't like that feeling. Yes. It makes me feel ineffectual. I can't sleep with the TV on. Yep. I can't, I can't just be hanging out with music on. No, same way. Like I'll be, it's like, I need, I'm like very like, what's, what are you trying to do to me? (laughs) Yeah. What are the thought forms that are trying to get to me? I just feel like I like the proactivity. And so when the algorithm shifted and it was like, you're just feeding me, well, that takes away my core nature, which is to explore. And so I just think about even as a child, how much I was taking in because it was the 80s and 90s. My parents watched, they'd watch a ton of content and I was raised in a house. I had a TV in my bedroom and I'm not mad at them about it. I think about it now and I think, oh yeah, like actually what I love to do was like put together potions that I thought were like Tinkerbell potions in the bathroom. And God, I love to read. I always loved to read. I was a total bookworm and nerd. But I just think about that. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the deprogramming. Yeah. I was so yearning for connection mm-hmm. that I would not, I wasn't really a TV watcher. Yeah. So I would try and find friends or I was always kind of like looking for how I could connect with That's people. much healthier than healthier, I was. But also it's like, babes, you got to be alone. Yeah. <laughs> you got to learn to be alone a little bit. You got to learn yeah. to find ways to connect with yourself. So that was kind of my drug Mm -hmm. was relationships, friendships, people. I'd hang out at other people's houses. You know, I didn't really find TV that interesting, Mm -hmm. but I definitely, I mean, we definitely watched it. We grew up on it. It was like a huge part of our experience. I think this is also too, where it's like, we have so much information Mm -hmm. and resources and work and blah, blah, blah. It's like, now we're at a phase of history where it's more curation. Yes. And distillation. Yes. Yeah. Is that astrologically aligned? Or do you think that's just a collective experience? I think that's a collective experience. I think there's a whole power dynamic that is taking place between the algorithm, curation, groupthink. And I think there's definitely a pushback, Mm -hmm. especially I don't know what it's like to be a digital native. I grew up I watched TV, but I didn't have a screen on my phone. That didn't come about until after college for me. Mine was like beginning. Beginning of college. So I feel like there's a pushback to like enough. I need spaciousness. I need to just kind of hear the birds sing. Also, the other thing with curation is like, then you're taking in someone else's curation, right? And I think the ideal situation is that you're inspired by other people's loves to then sort out your own. And that comes back to the specificity. A thing that I see a lot with like, when we talk about authenticity, I don't particularly think there's like a singular thing or a list. I think it's like moment to moment. The example I'll give is going back to like going to a movie or eating at a restaurant in high school or is it middle schooler. 
And like, maybe you actually love Celine Dion, but you were never going to like, you were never going to admit that, right? Mm -hmm. Because people would think it was uncool, for example. It's like being honest. Actually, I'm really moved by Celine Dion. Mm -hmm. Actually, I really didn't like that movie. Actually, this is my genuine moment-to-moment response Mm -hmm. to this scenario. That's authenticity. Mm -hmm. And it's, there's the tension in that yep. too. Yep. I think that people really miss. Yeah. Cause people online could be like, oh, she's not wearing makeup yeah. or she's showing her stained shirt yeah. or like she's crying on an Instagram. Yeah. It's like, yes, that can be authenticity. Yeah. And it also could be performance. Yeah. And there's like a fine line. And I remember for a little bit, there was this one person on Instagram that all of you are now going to be wondering who <laughs> is, and you will never freaking guess, but they were an influencer. And I was like, just kind of like witnessing, I'm like, oh, there's an absolute addiction to the drama that they create with their audience. So they just keep their audience in this loop of like, I'm going through this, this is happening. And the audience then being kind always comes to their rescue almost. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. With the validation, with the kindness, Mm -hmm. with the love, but it just kind of never stops. And I'm like, how many of you are not living your life because you're supporting the stranger on the internet? And how many of you have people in your life that actually deserve your support? But here you are just like spending your energy on this person. Well, it also kind of speaks to this concept of a digital pathogen. So, yeah. right, the idea of like, especially young, younger minds, like they see someone who has an affliction and then they say, oh, I have that affliction too, because this is how I generate you know, a sense of belonging or yes. connection. Yes. And I think that's a lot of times with like Insta therapy stuff. Yep. You know, I'm this, I'm that, yep. I have this, I'm yep. that, I'm anxious, I have this. Yep. You know, it's like how many people are diagnosing themselves and then also diagnosing other people. I mean, the amount of people that are empaths. Yeah. And <laughs> HSP. narcissists. That's the thing is everyone's a narcissist. Yeah. I'm like, okay, guys, if everyone's a narcissist, which one of you isn't a narcissist? Yes, exactly. Like what's that sort of conversation because people just diagnose everyone. Yes. We're way too happy to diagnose. And again, it's the, it's about them. Mm -hmm. Separation. Right. And I don't have to look at myself Mm -hmm. and that's not relationship skills, right? It's like, well, what aspects within me feel narcissistic? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. What aspects inside of me do I have discomfort with, or do I find kind of grotesque Mm -hmm. and which parts of me do I like. And that's that investigation or self-inventory, but it doesn't have to be constant, nonstop. It's like we live, okay, we'll get triggered. Well, what's underneath that trigger? What's happening? What's going on? Okay. And then we explore it and we move on. Okay, I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app, um, Superhuman. I have been doing these superhuman activations every single morning for the last three weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him still is, but I have been able to carve out time in the morning before I get into the swing with him. And I've been doing these activations. I do a lot of the shorter ones because I don't have a ton of time, but let me just say, this is new. Like 
this is a new type of audio that um, are super energizing and really specifically designed to transform you into your future self. So I know a lot of us want to manifest things. I know a lot of us are thinking about planning for the future, um, but a lot of us feel stuck. And so I've just felt like this has unstuck me in just the most beautiful way. So I've been doing a lot of their pep talks. I've been doing some of their writing activations. Uh, this morning I did the three morning questions. It was a seven minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, yesterday I did a pep talk, uh, about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you for this moment, for this day. Uh, it's incredibly supportive. So we actually interviewed Mimi Bouchard, the founder, not too long ago. Check out that interview. Uh, and we have a sample of one of the activations on our feed. So you can check that out as well. It's way easier to implement into your routine and far more effective than any other audio app out there. I've just noticed that I'm doing it much more consistently. So please don't miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts. On top of the 14-day free trial, get over 60% off your subscription for a limited time only at activation.com slash almost 30. Literally, there is no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The offer is only available through their website, not on the app store. So that's activations.com slash almost 30 for 60% off. It expires soon. So we're on 2023. Yeah. Okay. So that feels like the big kind of Say shift. So Saturn moving into Pisces, Pluto moving into Aquarius from end of March to June, and then Jupiter into Taurus out of Aries in May. So it feels like the bigger shifts. Oh, and then at the end of the year, another big astrological event from end of July to early September. I think it's July 22nd to September 3rd. Venus goes retrograde in Leo. At the end of 2022, Mars went retrograde in Gemini. January 12th, it goes direct. So we've been exploring the idea of what drives us, our motivation, how we use words as weapons, how we create narrative as weapons. Venus in Leo is our experience of entertainment, of performance, but also just the idea of feeling lit from within, feeling luminescent, feeling creative for creativity's sake, playful. So we'll explore that at the end, or I guess in the third quarter of 2023. What's the Jupiter? Jupiter is... Jupiter is expansion and growth. And it's considered the lucky planet. So it's kind of a balance to Saturn. So it's expansive, whereas Saturn can feel as constrictive, right? So there's that kind of end. Because Saturn was moving into Pisces and Jupiter in Taurus, those are feminine signs. So relationship to feminine, relationship to receiving, to process orientation versus goal orientation. Sensuality, exploring sensuality as well. And then the big eclipses. So eclipses are tethered to the nodes. The nodal cycles are 19 years and they'll be shifting from Taurus and Scorpio to Aries and Libra. So we have solar eclipse in Aries, the last degree of Aries on April 20th, followed by a lunar eclipse in Taurus on May 5th. 
And then end closer to the end of the year, next autumn, we have an October 14th eclipse in Libra, which will actually be over the Western part of the United States. We'll be able to see it over the Western part of the United States, followed by a lunar eclipse in Taurus on October 28th. So that's why I feel like the spring is going to be potent, the most potent. But I think the shift will be into more of the feminine, into more of the process orientation. When we get around that Jupiter time. Yeah. Just for our listeners, what's some things to remember in 2023? When we look at the astrology, what would be some things that they could just keep in mind? Be wary of ideology. Be wary of... What do you, how do you define ideology? um, A one size fits all model. Anything that's a one size fits all model, come back to your body. I mean, this is eternal kind of truth, but come back to your body. How does it land in your body? How does the truth land in your body? And how does stillness feel? How does spaciousness feel? Because I think truth is things are going to ramp up energetically, just especially with the Jupiter Pluto. And so coming back to this moment, this place, this time, and the glory and beauty of being alive being able to smell a fresh rose, being able to sip your tea, being, you know, these are historically, these are actually luxuries. You know, people's nervous systems historically were just fried. We're frying ours right now. So how can we just come back to that, come home to ourselves? This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for having I'm me. So grateful. It feels like you've already been on. I know. Isn't I feel that, that weird. I f- and I also feel like I've known you already. A hundred percent. I'm like confused. I'm like, we've done this before. I know. It's so weird. How can people work with you and connect to you? Find me through Instagram or through my website. I'm yeah. really accessible. I respond to my own emails. Yeah. So just reach out, honestly. And get a session. I've done yeah. them. They're amazing. We did one before our wedding. Yes. It was really beautiful because we got to see the astrology of the day. And so highly recommend if you're feel like you've had readings, Mm -hmm. getting them for specific like events or transitions or even astrocartography to see. I love it. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Bye guys. Thank you so much, Danielle. What a beautiful conversation. Again, it's daniellebeinstein.com. You can book a reading with her. She does natal chart readings. She does astrology coaching, and she is such a powerful reader. And thank you to our sponsors for this episode. Krista and I love trying out brands and experiences for you and bringing the ones that we really love and use ourselves to the show. You can find all the discount information exclusively for Almost 30 listeners at almost30.com slash partners. Also in our show notes of this episode, you can check it out there. Yeah. We love you guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.